Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Upoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theater Company. And this is Theater Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 20 of Theater Forward. (laughs) So this week's conversation is about magic in the theater, both literal and stylistic, and how are contemporary playwrights pushing the boundaries of naturalism on stage? And what does that mean for both artists and audiences? Well, it's not a coincidence we're talking about this as we're in production of our play, Forward's play, uh, for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday by Sarah Rule. And Jen, you directed it, so you know about the magic. I did. It's one of the things I love about Rule's work and a couple other playwrights in particular working right now, that there really is magic in all of her plays. This one seems extra magical. And I'm just going to start by saying, if you're a member of our audience who plans to see the show but hasn't seen it yet, uh, you might want to consider bookmarking this podcast and coming back because we'll be talking about some of the the magical surprises that happen in this production. And if you don't want that as a spoiler, you can just listen to this after you've seen the show. Great. Um, But yeah, this is a play that the magic just keeps coming um, in ways that are exciting and also uh, super challenging. For us as producers and as a director. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) I have never done a show where someone has flown before. And so that was um, an extra layer of this play that I found personally really gratifying and really interesting. And we hired a company uh, named Vertigo. They're in Illinois. Um, One person came and put up all the ropes and the pulleys. And we've got two flyers and a ship. And that ship, I mean, the the thing that is most interesting to me is three men get on this pirate ship. I'm doing quotes, but you can't see that (laughs) pirate ship. And the two guys pulling it have to kind of jerk 700 pounds. And then the pulleys start up, but they make it, it it just looks effortless and flying in the air. It's just Gorgeous. Yeah. And it's it's something we're used to seeing um, big Broadway musicals or, you know, children's theaters that do Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. It's not that flying on stage is this huge new idea, but for, you know, sort of like a small regional company like Forward that's doing straightforward contemporary plays, flying is not something that really tends to come up and especially flying, as you say, five people. Right. Um, And part of the fun is that all of the people we are flying are over 60 years of age. That's also awesome. Um, and so that, I mean, that's one of the first, you know, big magical challenges of this play. You read it and you go, oh my gosh, that is going to be a transcendent experience for the audience to see these actors take flight. And then you put your producer hat on and go, well, that's going to be complicated. Right. That is a, is a large undertaking. And that's just one of many such challenges in this play. I mean, I think what's tricky about what we'll call the magic plays or plays that are magical in some, I mean, every play is magical in some way, but what's really hard about something like this and which I loved watching this production as an audience member is that you, the technical challenges involved are immense and you, and yet you have to make those look even easier than in a normal production so that you preserve the, the magic. Otherwise it's just another play and and if you can see everything creaking and cranking 
it, it goes out the window. Or if you make the magic too literal, it goes out the window. I mean, one of the things I found really disappointing, for example, in the second Posner and Teller um, collaboration in Chicago, the Macbeth, is that the magic was made literal in a way that, to me, got in the way of the magic that was preserved in this production of Peter Pan. Mm. So I don't know how you do that, but that, to me, was a very impressive element of this production. Well, for, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with this play, the theme of magic in the theater is part of what this play is about. The central character um, is struggling with the, the idea of being a grown-up as she approaches her 70th birthday and the, dealing with the loss of her parents and um, the aging of herself and her siblings and the frailties of the human body and all of that. And she finds solace in the theater, whereas she says, you don't have to grow up. And so it, it's really purposeful what Rule has done here to layer all of these different kinds of specialness of things that we can do in the theater that bring us joy when we watch them on stage, because that's the it's that joy that she's trying to capture for her characters as well as for the audience. So it's not, you know, sometimes I'll read a play where a playwright has put all kinds of complicated things in. And I think, what are you doing? I can't produce your play. It's way too complicated. But this is a case where it, it the whole, it's part of the reason for telling the story in the first place. And it's not just all of the flying, which is, you know, certainly the most expensive and <laughs> right. um, physically challenging aspect. But there's a live dog, also something that feels really magical for audiences. But a challenge to execute in a good way. Um, there's a scene where she says, and now maybe there's a marching band. Awesome. Not, <laughs> you know, right. You know, lots of different ways to create that. Um, and, and one of the reasons, again, that I do love rule is that for someone who writes so much magic into her plays, she is just one of the best at giving a lot of room for individual directors and, and companies to find their own way to execute that magic. You know, she's very explicit in the script that you don't have to have the money or the resources to literally fly your characters to do this play. You can create that with your own versions of theater magic if you want to. So I, I truly appreciate that. But, you know, we, we certainly at Forward wanted to go whole hog on all of these different aspects. Um, so yeah, it was it was a big um, undertaking. We did a lot of things that we haven't done on our stage before. But what was cool, getting back to what you said, Julie, is that I felt like taking on these these new things meant that not only was the audience going to experience this magic, but we as the makers got to experience the magic right. of, of doing something new. Mm -hmm. um, so that was exciting. Agree. What, what? Why do you think right now? I mean, as somebody that's chosen two Sarah Rule plays um, in Forward, still relatively brief tenure. Why? What? What is the appeal of plays like that? And, and why are we? Because I feel like we are in this moment where we're pushing beyond the boundaries of the natural continually um, in plays into this sort of magical other realm. Whether it's you know our superheroes in the Cineplex, um, or Sarah Rule, or magic shows on Broadway with somebody like Darren Brown. Like, what is the deal in terms of the cultural moment that we're in? Well, I mean, I have a pretty strong feeling about this, which is that as there is more and more content more and more storytelling and good storytelling that's available on our phones, on our laptops, on our televisions, as well as on movie screens. Um, you know, we did a, pre a previous podcast where we talked about the brilliant playwrights who are creating incredible work in television. Um, if you're going to leave your couch and go to wherever your downtown is and 
pay to park your car or take the bus or whatever you're doing and, and buy a theater ticket, you want to feel like you're seeing something that really can only be done in our particular art form. Um, not to discount some brilliant kitchen sink plays that are also still being written now, but I think there is a hunger for theatricality because that is something worth engaging with in, in this particular art form that's not as easily accessible as so many other current art forms. So I, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I get really excited when I read a play and think this could only be done in the live theater. This won't work as well as a film or as a television store, television show or as a novel, um, because it's really creating the reason to, to, to come and sit in a theater with all of your neighbors. And I would say there's this uh, need for connection mm -hmm. that you don't get in TV and movie. And I also believe that that's one of the reasons, and we've, we've touched on this before about the breaking the fourth wall and the direct, the direct contact from the actor to the audience that used to be one in a million. Right. Uh, and now so many plays do that. It's almost an expectation of the audience that at some point someone's going to turn and talk directly to them. And I do believe that that is our, our need for that, that direct contact. Right. Everything old is new again. Thank you, Mr. Shakespeare. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that communion too, I, I think that's right. What we're hungering for something that we're missing. And it's, it's that connection between an audience and an actor. But I think it's also a hunger for, um, for a reach beyond this realm. Um, and you certainly see that in the serial rule play. This is about connecting to ghosts. Mm -hmm. It's about connecting to the dead. Um, and, uh, for whatever reason, and again, I think it may reflect something about the fact that our lives are getting smaller and smaller and feeling more confined and constricted by all this information. And therefore, we're hungering for something supernatural. I don't mean that in any like religious with a capital R sense, but something beyond beyond ourselves. I mean, one of the best plays I saw this year uh, was Lucas Nate's The Thin Place, um, mm. which is going to New York. It, it debuted at Humana. It's very simply told in a way, again, only could be done in theater. It's the magic of storytelling at its ghost story simplest. But it's about whether or not mediums are really making connections to a, a spirit world beyond. And Nath being Nath, which is why I think he's one of the most exciting playwrights writing today, leaves it open. Mm -hmm. But he's not willing to discount the possibility that there is, you know, just like we have ghost lights in a theater, that there are ghosts that exist mm -hmm. among us and with us uh, that theater can conjure to life. And I think that is so Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful script. Another playwright, which, you know, we've sung her praises a million times on this podcast, who I think is really good at injecting theater magic into her places, of course, Lauren Gunderson. Um, anyone who's seen Book of Will or I and You or Silent Sky um, knows that she's really good at, at giving us that little bit of magic or sometimes that huge bit of magic um, that makes all of our senses just kind of tingle at the ends of her plays. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, certainly being in the midst of this process of doing a highly magical play at Forward, um, it, it does, you know, make me personally as a theater maker feel that it's worth it to take on a challenging play like this. Couldn't do a whole season of them because it's <laughs> it is an enormous undertaking, but the audience reactions for each of those little sprinkles of magic, whether it's the ghost appearing or the dog or the flying or, you know, the marching band or anything else, 
it's it's not just what's happening on stage. You feel the frisson in the audience as they respond to it. And that's mm-hmm. just really a cool thing to make happen. Um, you know, it's another, I mean, and I know I've said this before, I hate repeating myself, but I'm about to, but I mean, one of the things I really struggle with, 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 um, um, projection design, which is becoming a bigger and bigger issue is again, I think it takes this thing that could be so magical and it makes it literal. Um, and the conjuring, the idea of a ghost or a spirit world, um, or just a dimension of ourselves that is beyond the sort of masks that we all wear and carry forward with every day is better than sort of literally um, as in a cineplex or on, uh, you know, on, on the back wall of a stage, making this thing come to life. It, it, you think you're making it more special, but I think what you're actually doing is thinning it out. And what this rule play is reminding us is stories are at the heart of what we do. And a really good ghost story around a campfire can be every bit as mesmerizing as the biggest, most um, glitzy production. Yeah. I mean, when I've seen some really great projection design that, that isn't literal. And that's, you know, sure. so that's when right, I get right. really yes, excited. Yes, yes, I'm yes. with you if it's just a question of, and now I'm going to put some footage <laughs> of the alleyway up in the back. And now we know we're in an alley that that's less interesting to me, but I, I certainly have seen some projection design that is just as artful and creative, um, as any of the other design elements. So, so that's pretty cool. But, um, you're talking about ghost stories brings me back to one of the other, you know, plays we've done at forward that, I think had a lot of theater magic, which is of course, Ann Washburn's Mr. Burns, Mm. a post-electric play. That was another incredibly challenging undertaking to produce. It was big. It had a lot of um, production needs, but again, we got to take the audience on this really multi-layered journey where things sometimes kind of took their breath away. Um, both from the ghost story perspective in its first movement to the musical numbers in the second movement to the really complicated rituals um, and sort of surprise ending of the third movement. And um, that's a, couldn't be a more different play from for Peter Pan, but in some ways felt like a similar undertaking for us. So, you know, that raises an interesting question, because I think another thing you're really seeing a lot of right now. And, you know, if you if you both or one of you feels differently push back. But one of the ways in which you're seeing boundaries get broken isn't just spatially, but in terms of time. Mm-hmm. And, and that play, The Washburn in particular, is all about time travel. Um, I know we're looking at plays that involve similar time travel. And like, what's the deal with that? I mean, we got all these plays now that are going back to the Middle Ages. We get plays that are projecting way into the future. Does it reflect something you think about an unsettledness in our own moment that those are more prevalent? Or is it just that I'm seeing more of this now and it's always been there and I just haven't been paying attention? Well, you mentioned you mentioned the superheroes and things. I think that's absolutely of our time is that we are we really need a Thor right now <laughs> you know, to come down from the heavens and, and help. Um, I, I do think I think so often it is. And it's and it's figuring out um, it is this is this a new time in history? Are things are things being broken right now that are irreparable? And so we go back into history to figure out. No, look at look at this. When when a similar instance um, like what we're in right now happened or going into the future, what does that look like um, as a direct result of what's happening now? I think that's the beauty of theater is it it is it is a message and it is a criticism and it is an answer to 
what is happening right now in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. always, that's you awesome. know, been the case. If Shakespeare the case. did it, he, Absolutely. you know, would go backwards in time. Right. You know, the crucible, you know, Arthur Miller oh, sure. looking yeah, at, yeah. you know, yeah. the McCarthy hearings and saying, great, I'm going to go back to the past. George Orwell saying, I'm going to go and write 1984, which is decades into the future. You know, that sense of something's going on in your current world and you want to talk about it. And I think it, it very rarely succeeds when you talk about it directly. Right. And and what we can do in, in theater or in many other art forms is to either contextualize it by looking backwards mm-hmm. or to envision what the end result might be by by doing something set in the future. So um I think I think it's a cyclical thing depending on how uh turbulent our current Times are maybe. Well, and I think you're also seeing, and this is just another symptom, not cause. I don't mean it as explanatory, but in I'm thinking like in film with a film like Parasite, in literature, um, with the um, you know the collapse of boundary distinctions between genres. You're seeing things like science fiction or fantasy that were once ghettoized in some sort of little corner have become mainstream. Not just have become mainstream, but are bleeding into more naturalistic productions. Of course, that's going to affect our world too, and it's yeah. it's cool. I mean, it is. It's a great film. Yeah, I saw it yesterday. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. So you know, I, have a, I have a quote that I just wanted to, to read from. Um, this is a shout out to Sarah Holdren, a fantastic director who, and of course, as an ex-critic, I love this, took two years off from being a director to be the critic for New York Magazine and was writing, to my mind, the best criticism in America during that two-year mm. period. She's just left that to return to directing. In fact, those of you listening in Ohio, um, she's directing Merchant of Venice in Cleveland from November 6th to 16th. So right as this podcast will be dropping. And she said this in her last piece as a critic. She said, I'm interested in theater's distinctive access to realms beyond the veil, the other worlds that touch our own, be they formed in the discourse of psychology, the supernatural or the divine, so that the visible world hides this other world, as does a wall. And now it opens and it shows us a door at its best theater locates and accesses those doors. I mean, that's like, that's exactly this idea that there's all kinds of ways in which our lives are so limited as we live them day to day, because we're 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 disguising ourselves and how we go forward um, in in terms of the things that we have to do to just get through a day. Theater is like opening it up. It's pretty cool. Peter Pan, this production is certainly opening it up. Well. That seems like a beautiful place to to leave this conversation. That is it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jen Alpoff-Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, who is also magical. Um, (laughs) And you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Forward Theater, as always, with an E-R. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in and be sure to leave a stellar review. We're so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward Conversations.